gathered together from the cosmic reaches of the universe here in this great hall of justice. Superheroes have to be around other superheroes. You know what I mean? That's the Hall of Justice is more about them just commiserating about their powers and less about them like actually fighting crime. So what uh what is this place anyway? Is this some type of fancy DMV? Are you kidding? It's the Hall of Justice. Seth Everett is the best there is at what he does, Bob. And what he does is the Hall of Justice podcast. Go, go, go with a smile. Welcome to the Hall of Justice. This is episode number 365. That means if you started on New Year's Day with episode one, you could do the whole year. Oh, wait, there's a leap year. Ah, forget that whole plan. You know, it's funny. When I started this podcast, I had a short list of people I wanted. And most of the people who have been on this podcast were not on it. You know, I never planned to have Ben Affleck or John Travolta or Kevin Smith. No, I think I wanted to have Kevin Smith. I certainly didn't plan on Zack Snyder. And some of the great friends that I've met as a result of the podcast has been one of the most rewarding things about this show. Case in point, last week's episode with Nelson Lee. How great is it that a guy that I became friendly with because he was on the podcast a few years ago promoting Stargirl, he was in Star Wars, and we got to have him on. That was so much fun. I've been talking a lot about this podcast because we have some new editors that are helping with some of the video production behind the promotion of this podcast. Adam Tobis is our primary editor, and there will be people helping him out. So check out my social media or the Underdog YouTube page for some really cool video production done by Adam. Mike Carlin was on that shortlist. Who is Mike Carlin? Well, comic fans know exactly who he is. For years, he was an editor at DC Comics of the Superman books. And he presided over the quintessential Superman iconic moment in comics that got me into comics, the death of Superman. He's had a long and storied career, but I'm going to let him tell the origin story because it really is fascinating. And I want to get right to the interview. Way back in episode 262, we had comic book writer Dan Jurgens, who wrote Superman 75, which is the death of Superman. But I connected on social media with Mike Carlin, and while he was under the employ, he was really hard to reach. Retired from Warner Brothers. After moving from comics to animation, he has worked as a producer of many, many DC animated films. And when I asked Mike to come on the podcast, I wanted to focus on comics this episode, and we'll do a whole other episode on animation in a couple of weeks. Like, if I had a nickel for every time I tried to get Mike Carlin on this podcast, and, I mean, the guy has handlers, handlers who were blowing me off for other handlers, now suddenly he's free, he's able to come on the show, and it is an honor to have you on, man. Thank you so much for doing this. It's been my pleasure. I've escaped the handlers. The handlers were not handling it the way I wanted it to be handled. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if I have time, I'm happy to talk. I mean, that's, you know, I've, I, that's all I've gotten. You know, it's like, in, and I find my career as an editor and then as a, a creative director on animation is 
I'm just a walking opinion, you know, and I'm happy. It does me no good to keep it in. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> That's fair. Um, I do want to get into how you got started in comics, but that is how normal podcasts go. Let's mm. just go to the meat and potatoes. So you're in this hotel. And the folks at ABC television tell you, you can't have Lois Lane and Clark can't get married because no. of this hot new show, this Lois and Clark, the new adventures of Superman. Okay. That, that's one of the reasons why I'm happy to do these podcasts because everybody has gotten that whole story wrong. And there I, we go. And I've said it a million times now. I've said it in print. I've said it on other podcasts, <laughs> ABC and Hollywood had nothing to do with Jeanette Kahn and myself saying, hey, there's a show coming up, guys, called Lois and Clark. They're going to do Superman and Lois's romance more like our comics, you know, and their Daily Planet cast will be more like our comic cast. And if, they, if they're going to get to a wedding, it might be a couple of years down the road, and if moms, we can just do the wedding when we feel like it. So yeah. all of the plans for the wedding we had in place, we were just pushing it back in our mind. That's Jeanette Kahn and myself. Okay. Right. Now, the guys were upset about that. The writers and artists, the guys, including Louise Simonson. Sure, uh, Louise Simonson, Dan Jergens, John Bogdanov, um, uh, I mean, Jerry Ordway, Jerry and, Ordway, uh, Brett Breeding, Glenn I mean, Whitmore, everybody, everybody. They were upset because when they make when we make these plans, they don't know how long they're going to stay on a book. They don't know if they're going right. to leave or get fired or whatever. And at the same time, it was just like I I I could only promise people things, and you know. Uh, and whatever I'm, I'm as good as my word, but I also might not be at the company myself. They were just worried that they wouldn't get to do the story. Right. And, uh, and, you know, as it turned out, Lois and Clark lasted a couple of years and uh, we just, we held off for it, but for my money, it gave us the chance to do just more stories. We would have had to do more stories anyway, you know, right, so comic books are the, the natural soap opera. They just keep going. It's a never-ending battle, is the, what what I hear said every now and then, and it was just like it came from DC, it came from us, and you know the guys knew that, and every interview that I've ever done, everybody just assumes that the evil Hollywood entity that owned DC. Oh, I thought it was Dean Kane himself. He came down there. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I'm not scared of him. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it just was like how did this become the story it's not it has nothing to do with reality nobody involved has ever perpetrated that story and every fan just wants to think that the company is evil and they came down to mess with us they never said a peep about our stuff they didn't say if they liked it they didn't like it they did like a uh, Jeanette and and myself put together a Bible uh, for what we were calling Lois Lane's planet. And that pitch was the civilian side with Superman in it. Right. And that's kind of what they ended up doing on the show. Uh, 
and and they didn't think Lois's name was enough. They didn't think the Daily Planet's name was as well known as we thought it was. So they just wanted to get Superman's name in there too. And Lois and Clark sounds like Lewis and Clark. So everybody in the world thinks that's a good right. idea. So they did the show and they, you know, it was as good or bad as your, your own opinion was. Uh, and they eventually got to the wedding yep. and they didn't tell us that they were going to do the wedding until the last minute. And we scrambled and that's why the, uh, the wedding special is separate from the regular run of the comics the comics. It was a special issue. It had to, I had to put it together on the side and every single person who was at that meeting was involved and we we involved as many Superman creators, past and you know, current as we could, including people like Kurt Swan who had already passed away. But I had uh, inventory stories in my you know drawer at the office, and I put them in there wow. too. And it's like it, we we found ways to involve people. John Byrne came back for it. Everybody was involved. Uh, so nobody got screwed out of being there for that day. And, right. uh, and most of the guys were still working on the books at that point. Uh, Ordway had left. Carl Kiesel had replaced him. But uh, his name is Carl Kiesel. Yeah. For Carl 30 Kiesel. years, I thought it was Carl Kessel. Oh, whoops. Well, that's the, the beauty of these uh, podcasts. You can hear the audio. And his yeah. name is Mixiez Pitalik. Uh, <laughs> and backwards it's backwards it's kill tip zixum <laughs> tremendous so yeah carl kiesel and he's the owner of kiesel coffee if you look in the backgrounds of a lot of the superman comics that's sure. what's sold at the supermarkets <laughs> so so i have to bring context into this um i was a freshman at syracuse university and I had gotten a gig working for the campus TV station and I was expanding. I was, uh, you know, primarily a sports guy, but I was expanding to cover stories. And the, the first story I was handed was <laughs> to cover the death of Superman. Wow. I had never read comic books. What? I, was, I, I did not grow up with comic books. I grew up with animation. I That's was, amazing. Kid of the 80s, you know, He-Man, the Transformers, the, that kind of stuff. I knew the Super Friends, but I did not know comics per se. And wow. I remember Your going out to this looks comic like book. it's got some comics on it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and I remember covering that story. And then the next semester, so we're talking a few months later, uh, I was allowed to bring a car up to campus. And the first day that I'm on campus with a car. I went to that comic book store just to see what was happening. I was Ugh. like, that was madness. And it was the storyline where Green Lantern goes bananas. Oh boy. And I said, this is for me. I was 18. <laughs> <laughs> I said, this is speaking to me. Like this is not for kids. And I never knew that comics were not for kids. And I just... I didn't have that, that so so that's the context. The death of Superman is not just a, a, a that's reason enough to have you on the show. Death <laughs> of Superman for me is that's my entry point. 
that's my entry point as an adult, as a young adult. I covered the death of Superman. Um, knowing that this this seminar, you know, this this meeting happened, and however it gets down, who is the person that says, let's just kill him? Well, my my story is uh, consistent there as well. We would have these meetings every year, and uh, every year we would have a patch where we were either running out of steam or we'd get tired and we just weren't filling the the issue boxes uh, quickly. And, you know, we tried to do about a year's worth in two or three days every time. So we that had was this. the purpose of the meeting. The meeting yep. is to get everybody together plan out the 12 months in, the, in 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 perpetuity and then go off on your merry ways and write and draw and ink your own right. issues. And there'd, there'd be a little room for sudden inspiration here and there, but generally everybody was going to work from the same skeleton and the same spine and just make sure that, you know, you hit the beats when your issue numbers were up on the charts. Mm-hmm. So we would hit this, you know, dry patch or we were just tired or whatever. And, Every single time, Jerry Ordway would say, let's just kill him. And it, everybody would laugh, and then we would go to dinner or take a break or whatever we did. Uh, and this year, because everybody was mad that we were asking them to hold off on the wedding, they were like, well, what are we going to do now? We really thought we had the start of our year, and we all brought in ideas for what would happen after that. And, uh, you know somebody said let's just kill him and i nobody laughed this time and i said okay wise guys if we kill him what happens after that wow right and we came up with the whole funeral for a friend stuff which is world without a superman as a collected edition yep and it was i remember that all about how metropolis and the world reacted to the Superman not being there anymore. And our motivation for for even starting this idea was we felt like the readers were taking Superman for granted. They were saying he was corny. They were saying he was old-fashioned. And uh, honestly, we had been getting some attention for not being corny and being doing good stories and good soap opera and mm-hmm. And that kind of stuff for a couple of years, but it still was not translating into the sales that the Punisher or Wolverine uh, would get. And it's like, and these are brutal characters. And we really thought that Superman had a, a better message to put out there. And we basically said, you know, well, if you don't like Superman the way he is, we're going to take him away. And we took him away. And the the reactions in the real world to when we took Superman were away were so similar to what we had planned for our storylines. It was pretty, it was great actually, but we couldn't have planned it that way. <laughs> you know, it was just like something that we, we had no idea the world would, would get so upset. I would talk to reporters at the time who were like, how can you take Superman away? How can you do something like this? And I was like, well, when was the last time you bought a Superman comic? Right. And they would say, well, 30 years. And I was like, well, if you don't water the plants, they die. And so it's your fault. (laughs) 
And uh, it was funny because a lot of reporters actually said, I'm a reporter because of Clark Kent, or I'm into the news because of Lois Lane. And it's like, yeah, it's great, but you still, you're not supporting it. And uh, now you're just ambulance chasing too. <laughs> well, I just want to clarify one thing that you said. Um, you said that readers uh, weren't connecting to him the way they were connecting to the Punisher or whatnot. Mm -hmm. Social media doesn't exist. The internet That's... barely exists. Thank God. So my question is, how did you know? How, how did you we... know what readers were thinking? Oh, well, we get, we used to get mail. <laughs> tell, we used tell, to get actual Again, letters. this is more for the audience. Tell, <laughs> tell, tell that part of it. Okay, so a letter is something that people would write down on paper, and then with a stamp they would mail it in. No, and how to write a letter. But we, I mean, we literally would get tons of mail if something was really popular. Then we would also get sales figures. You know, okay. we could see what Punisher was selling and what Wolverine was selling, and and uh, you know, it's like that. That was our competition, and that was what we had to you know it was our job to compete with that kind of stuff so we we found our way to do that and uh you know we we did it a, a, in as creative a way as we possibly could and uh, <clears throat> the thing that's funny is that everybody you know i don't think that the death of superman story is a story i think the story starts when he dies and basically the death of superman is a fight scene yep and the world without superman and the you know the That's funeral the friend stuff is what it was all about right. and that was the st stuff that was big to us creatively that's what got us fired up and it, everybody jumped on board people stopped crabbing that we weren't going to get to do the wedding and we just we we went crazy with the stuff and then the, the book started coming out uh and and also right the so how long after this this conversation and planning session do the books start do, do people start to learn about this well it was uh, a year later that they wow. well like the people started learning about it when the books were solicited and right. that's uh when they would they would send an order book to comic shops and that's when people would say oh here's what's coming i'll buy this story i'll buy that story for my store totally and there must have been the slowest news day on earth because some reporter who was a comic fan on long island uh decided he saw the order book and he said oh my god they're going to kill superman this is literally front page news and they put it on the front page of Newsday on long island Yep. And I also learned that a lot of reporters don't uh, actually report things. They uh, they copy <laughs> things that releases. other people do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But he was the guy who just said, you know, wow, there's no no war broke out today and Madonna didn't have a baby. So here's <laughs> something for the front page. And it was just a, a lucky thing. Now, the problem with that was that the order book is like three months before a comic is on sale. So DC was actually trying to stop this story from getting big until the book existed. And we couldn't stop it. We, we, everyone thinks we planned it and we hyped it and we 
paid for this kind of publicity. It's just a natural progression of comic books. And it was just like, guys, there's nothing. People are going to go into comic shops, and there's nothing to sell them yet. If they're looking for the death of Superman, it's not going to be there. So uh, it was a a little frustrating, but it it definitely, you know, it it had a life of its own, and we just uh, grabbed the tail of the monster and just didn't let go. And the whole thing is remarkable. Well, the, the extra crazy thing was once we saw the sales figures that were going on for the funeral story after he was dead, that the sales were still high and going up. And it was just like, Oh my God. Well, we're, we're going to, we stopped publication because a couple of weeks, right? For a couple of months because, because of the solicitation cycle, because of the, we would have had to solicit, you had to turn to, to life. Tell what was happening? Got it. And then everybody would know that the funeral was f- for no reason. So we stopped publishing for two or three months. And I did some specials, and I did a a fake uh, Time magazine, which was our News Time magazine. Yep, yep. And we did, uh, you know, Lex Luthor uh, and Supergirl were a thing. I remember that. Yep. We gave them a mini series, and we gave a lot of the side characters got you know one shots and things. <clears throat> But yeah, at first when they said you can stop publishing for two months or three months, I said, oh, good. I'm going to need a break after this. And they <laughs> said, oh, there's no break. You have to do other things. <laughs> so the weird thing was we saw how high the sales figures were and the interest. And basically, we called an emergency meeting and we had everybody fly into town again. And we had this meeting. When you say town, is this New York? Uh, well, th- this meeting, the emergency meeting happened in Tarrytown, New York. Okay. So it was, it was away from the office because okay. we also didn't want the people in the office knowing what we were up to. Because uh, even without the Internet, there was, uh, you know, sometimes people would leak stuff by accident just because they were excited or whatever. Oh, wow. So we, we had this meeting. And basically, we said, you know, our plan to have Superman just basically sit up in his coffin and say well i'm better uh is not enough people are gonna get pissed off if that's how we say he came back to life i mean it was going to involve a metaphysical thing with his father who had a heart attack and they were gonna kind of save each other and 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 all that stuff which we did do in adventure But but you had to you had to map the whole thing out before you went to press or before you went to writing yeah, yeah, we had so it all, all the four guys and 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 and, and well, and- this is the emergency meeting is when everybody wanted to bring Superman back in a really drastic way, do something very different so that it would be surprising, which is great. Except we couldn't agree on whose idea to use. Oh, so that's and, a true story. That 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 really and, happened was the yeah. four guys are created because you guys couldn't agree on one. Well, we no, everyone just liked their own idea better. Right. And you know, it wasn't about even agreeing. It was just about I didn't want to pick. I you know, and so Louise Simonson said, why don't we just do all of them? And Did I was you like, have a favorite of the four? Uh yeah, the real Superman. <laughs> <laughs> the real Superman is my favorite. Uh, and I do think I think the other ones all serve their purposes. You know, I think Superboy was great, I think Steel was great. 
the Eradicator was already in existence in our comics, so he wasn't anything really new. And uh, and Cyborg, I don't like him. He was the bad guy. He was the bad guy, yeah. Yeah, but thank God there was no internet, and people did not like that. Didn't get blown. the The whole Cyborg as the bad guy was a secret that got kept, and people didn't ruin it. And I think the internet allows people a place to ruin everybody else's fun a lot of times. And it's a, it's a bummer. Well, I'll tell you this, by that point, I was a reader by that point, by, you Mm -hmm. know, the, the funeral I I got as I think a trade paperback, I, I, you know, I, I, again, I, I was in, I, I was exposed to this world and the, the supermen had come out because again, the, the story that I remember catching my eye was Hal Jordan going batshit crazy. Like yeah. that was, that was nuts because Coast City was destroyed and the, it, you know, like this whole thing happened, and that was fascinating. And I really dug Kyle Rayner. I thought Kyle Rayner was so interesting. And Ron Mars has been on this podcast before. He's he's a fascinating guy, and the whole thing was just immense, and well, it was dramatic. That's the right word. We just wanted this to be big. It needed to be bigger than just, oh, me and my dad's ghost saved each other. But it's a different kind of big because now things are stunty big. This was big. Well, I don't know. I mean, people accuse this of being a stunt. and, And honestly, it was a big idea for us. And it was a big character driven story. And that's I think is missing from the big stunts now is that it, nothing is really character driven. Nothing is, it's a, it's kind of gimmicky. And this was not, I mean, the death part, yes, but it was also something that had been done before in Superman comics. It had been done before in other comics. It had been done in mythology. It's been around for a long time. That idea of a Phoenix rising from the ashes in some cases, literally Phoenix rising from the ashes. And it's like, uh, this is just our version of that. And that's why I, I do always say that the death of Superman is not what this was about. It's not the point of the story. The point of the story is the people and the point of the story of the people who took up the mantle right. and, and, or the bad guy who tried to take advantage. And, uh, and even he was a character that existed in our storyline already, Hank Henshaw. Yep. So uh, the, these are, we, we tried to really weave a big, interesting story. And it would worked for new readers like yourself. Yep. And it worked for the people who had been already on our train. And it was great. But we had this meeting in Tarrytown. And it, this this is how crazy it was. I went to my hotel room the night after we came, we got the approval to do four new Superman. And I turned on the news, the nightly news at 11 o'clock. And the reporter said, it's reported that the writers and editors are getting together to bring Superman back to life. And I was like, this is news. This is just, this is why we worry about leaks. Right. But it was also they their their angle was they're really listening to the people and they're bringing Superman back. And it was like, no, we that we always plan to bring him back. I'm not going to put myself out of work. 
uh, that DC could not run without Superman and Batman, you know, so they're not going to take these guys away for good. Hopefully we're going to give you a, an interesting roller coaster ride uh, if we are going to do things like break their backs or kill them. And it's just like, it, I couldn't believe it was that big a, a deal. And it, it really was. It was just, the, it, and I knew it was never going to be like that again. And luckily my employers knew that we could never top this and they never tried to they get never us. They wanted to you to. Yeah, they never asked us to top it because they they just were like, this is uh, this is an anomaly. This is something that is, you know, it's a one off. It's not going to happen anymore. And you certainly can't plan it. You can't orchestrate this. It was the world's reaction that was the hype. Well, and, and you mentioned, you know, thank God we had no social media to kind of ruin it. If, if Think about it. And as I'm listening to you say this. This is exactly what Avengers of Infinity War was. Yeah. Because you knew the story of mm -hmm. Black Panther making a billion dollars. You didn't kill him. Mm -hmm. like it, it, it doesn't land. Spider-Man, yeah. you just wrestled the, the movie rights away from Sony to get the rights <laughs> to put him in a movie. You didn't kill him. Yeah. And you couldn't fool it. People, I think, you know, looking back, and I can only go by myself, you know, my perspective on this, but doing this podcast for over 300 episodes, my gut instinct is people didn't know comics well enough to know yeah. if he would stay dead. Yep. Well, and even if they knew comics, it had been a lot of years. I mean, Jerry Siegel, the co-creator of Superman, had written a Death of Superman story himself. It was what they called one of those imaginary stories. Right. So it was just what if uh, Superman it, died, right? And it was just like Lex Luthor and Kryptonite were involved in killing Superman, and it's like, you know, that's why we didn't have Lex Luthor or any of his Superman villains and Kryptonite be involved in his death at all. We made up a new thing, and we made it a new story, and we made it our version. So if it didn't work, it was our fault, and if it did work, you know it. That was a feather in our cap. The The best news was that we actually, uh, we took all the writers and artists to LA and we all got to be extras on the Lois and Clark set. Ah. And that was fun because the show That's wasn't awesome. on yet. And we were all extras. We met Dean Kane and Terry Hatcher and everybody. And Lex Luthor, who was- John Shea. John Shea was so interested in what we had to say that it was it was really nice oh, and flattering. He was great, and uh, you know, it, we so we were all there. We were extras, and it was really fun. And then we drove from L.A. down to San Diego to do the San Diego Comic Con uh -huh, uh -huh. that year. But before we went, we actually had a dinner with Jerry Siegel. Oh, wow. and it was like a chance for all of the guys to meet. You know the the guy who gave us all a living. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, he was so great and he was so gracious and he was like, so understanding. He's like, I know why you did this. I know you have to shake it up every now and then. And he goes, congratulations. And he knew who, you know, John Bogdanov was and who Dan Jurgens was. Cause he saw them on QVC selling signed comics. 
<laughs> which he was also in on signing comics for QVC. And he was just like, he was on board for the ride and he thought it was the greatest thing ever. And that made me feel great. That was the best, oh, great story. Best moment. That was the best. That's, that's so cool. That is, that is fantastic. Um, all right. Well, I can kiss your ass about that storyline, the, the whole thing, the, the, all the heroes, the, the, the four guys, and which one was the one, and the reveal that Cyborg was behind the whole thing. Ah, oh, the whole thing is great. Well, and again, it, thank, thank, thank God the internet wasn't there, you know, because it really would have changed the, the whole vibe about it, which is unfortunate. But, you know, that's okay. There, there are just people out there who want to kind of spoil things. And, you know, if you're right, if you're Stephen King and you write a book, you don't want people telling the end of the book. That's right. And they don't. They kind well, of respect We that. learned that on this podcast very early. We tried, when, when, once I decided we were going to try to do film reviews, mm. the first movie we tried was The Force Awakens. And I don't know how you do a proper review of The Force Awakens without saying Han Solo dies. Yeah. And what we learned was if you go on social media and go, I can't believe they killed Han Solo, you're an asshole. Yeah. But if you write in a podcast warning, don't press play unless you don't want to know the plot. Yeah. That's fine because then it's you're pressing play at your own risk. And what we've yeah, noticed spoiler alert is the thing. Spoiler alert helps. Yes. Yeah. And what we've noticed is when we do that, when we do a review, the audience actually is higher than when we have guests. Oh, great. Which is wild, but yeah, you know, and, and it, I think it's because of spoilers. I, I think it's people want to listen to what they're not supposed to. I, I think, I think there's a weird thing where people, they kind of, they get some kind of satisfaction out of spoiling something for someone else. I don't really get what that is. I don't understand that motivation. Yeah. No, there's, there's it, something... You're not making any money off of it. <laughs> yeah. Um, it makes sense. Right. You're not making any money off of it. Correct. Yeah. Um, all right. Tell me this. Uh, how do you get into DC's realm? You had done some other comic work, but was it, we, we, did you grow up a comics fan? What was your hook to it? Uh, did superheroes mean as much to me, to you, as they do to the people who read your books. Well, superheroes were my, uh, they were my sports. You know, you were into sports. I was into comic books and superhero comic books in particular. Mm -hmm. uh, and it, I was into comic books because my mother was into comic books. And if you're my age, growing up in the 60s, most mothers were blamed for throwing out their kids' comics. My mother would read my comics at night when I went to bed, which was great, except she would always fold the covers back and kind of ruin their mint condition, which that bothered me. Okay. But she she was a Superman fan. She loved Wonder Woman. She wasn't so much into Batman, but I had my own thing with right. Batman because of a TV show. Yep. And uh, she was also a gigantic... And to the audience, I don't mean to cut you off, but to the <laughs> audience, he's talking about the Adam West 1960s TV. <laughs> is not talking about Batman, the animated series. Continue. Not yet. Uh, but basically, my mother was into EC comics. So she was a cool mom. Yeah, I had a cool sure. mom. She was the best. 
And she just supported the habit. And I like to draw. And I'm not a good enough artist to draw superheroes and the real worlds that they live in. But that's what I wanted to do when I was eight years old. Got it. So she supported me. She found that there was a vocational high school in New York called the High School of Art and Design. She got me, you know, to signed up to take the entry test to get in there. And you had to go there and, you know, show, show your portfolio and mm-hmm. do a drawing there in person for them to evaluate. And I got into the high school and that was great. And it was the perfect place for me. And uh, during the course of that high school run, Dick Giordano, who was one of the executives at DC and a great artist uh, on a, in his own, uh, he came in to give a lecture on a Saturday at my high school. And he gave a, a great lecture about comics. It was awesome. And he gave out a packet. Wow. And in the packet was a script for a Batman story. And he said, you know, draw three pages of this story and send them in to us. And we'll pick 10 people to get a private lesson. So I got picked. So I got I got to go into DC Comics and see the offices and have this private thing, private with 10 other people, nine other people. Uh, and Dick Giordano, and it was it was great, and I was there. The next year, I got selected by my teacher to for an internship at DC. Huh. So I got to be an intern in 1974 at DC Comics. So that was for six months or something, and that's when I really learned things. That's when I learned that I wasn't good enough because I was xeroxing. Jack Kirby commandy pages. I was copying Walt Simonson's Manhunter and Batman story. You know, I was, I, I, I saw Swamp Thing number one that Bernie Wrightson drew. And I was like, this, no way I have the patience to get this good. I will never be able to do it. But I'm funny too. So maybe I'll just do funny stuff. Well, Unfortunately, to be, a writer, to, be a, to write it, you don't have to draw it. Right, but I or draw it funny. I can draw funny. Oh, I see. I see. But there's not a big market for that at at that time or even now. You know, it's like it there was there was one place, Mad Magazine, maybe National Lampoon, mm. and maybe The New Yorker, which I have all my rejection slips from National Lampoon and The New Yorker. That's great. I never tried Mad because it seemed like such a closed shop. It had the same artists all the time the usual gang of idiots. And uh, when I, then I, after high school, I went to the school of visual arts, which is a college for art. And I had uh, Harvey Kurtzman as a teacher and Will Eisner as a teacher. As a teacher. Yes. They were teachers at the school and they were my teachers and they both icons. They were both great to me and to my friends. And they really cared about everything. And and Eisner was doing these joke books for Scholastic at the time, you know, uh, foxy jokes and funny riddles. And they were horrible, but they sold them through Scholastic. Mm-hmm. And he told the class, he goes, bring me some jokes. 
I'll pay you guys a dollar a joke. And I made $300 from him. And I was like, that's a lot of jokes, but that was okay. Uh, it, it was fun. And I got to see Will Eisner draw some of my jokes. He let me do some drawings in these books. And it was just like, this is very good. This is a good world. Then I got out of college and I said, let me, let me try to make a living now. And I went up to Crazy Magazine because Mad was a clothes shop to me. Cracked seemed to be a fly-by-night operation. I didn't know who the publisher was, but Crazy was published by Marvel Comics. I know who Marvel Comics is. And I brought my portfolio up to Marvel Comics, and I'm sure I got I got seen because I said my teachers were Harvey Kurtzman and Will Eisner. You know, and so well, but, they, but hold hold on one second. Put the context. So you get out of college. What year is this? And where is Marvel at that point? It was nineteen eighty when I got out of college. So okay. where's Marvel then? They're just so, beginning. So, but Marvel Marvel was a popular comic book at that point. Oh yeah. Marvel comics were big deals. Uh, you know, they were big deals for 20 years already by that point. Right. And uh but Stan Lee had already moved to the West Coast. And uh, Jim Shooter was the editor-in-chief at the time. All of Justice Veteran. Episode 348, just earlier this year, for those of you listening to the podcast. <laughs> Jim Shooter. I'm sure he was very he nice. Was great. To... Yeah, he was great. <laughs> and he, uh, and then Larry Hama was the editor of Crazy Magazine. So he liked my jokes. He said, your drawing is not so great. And I couldn't argue with him i think he was right and uh he basically he oh yeah well that's what you, that's what the editor has to be yeah you know and uh but at the same time i walked out of there with my own page mike carlin's page of stuff and i got to draw write and draw my own page until crazy stopped publication so that was about two years but because I was up in the office dropping off my page, uh, people got to know me and people got to see me. And when Mark Grunewald was getting promoted, Larry Hama said, do you want to be an assistant editor? And I was like, yeah, what's that? I didn't know what they did. I, but I also assumed I Xeroxed pages as an intern. I can do that too, still. Right, right. <laughs> you know, so... Basically, I interviewed with Mark Grunewald, and I got to be an editor on uh, an assistant editor on staff at Marvel, and uh, then I got promoted within two years to editor, and uh, and then I got fired by Jim Shooter for, in episode three eighty seven. Did you say <laughs> three forty eight? He didn't mention that part. Three forty eight. Yeah, <laughs> I, it probably wasn't as big a deal for him as it was Jim for me. Jim Shooter, by the way, for listeners of the podcast, followed Jordan Gorfinkel. So uh, <laughs> it's six degrees of Mike Carlin right there. <laughs> and and Jordan did not fire me. <laughs> but no, anyway, it worked out okay because I called up Marvel. I you know, Denny O'Neill had just left DC. Uh other people had left DC, uh left Marvel. They left Marvel for DC. For DC. So I just called them up and Denny said, I don't know if there's any jobs here, but I can buy you lunch. And I was like, I, I do eat lunch. So <laughs> I went up to DC and that's how I started meeting some of those guys. I got to re-meet 
Oh, and I said, by the way, I 10 years ago almost you you were nice to me, so thank you. Yeah, yeah. And uh when they had an editorial position open, I fit it really well because and I'm sure that John Byrne had a bigger deal to do with my getting hired than anybody else. Oh wow, that's good but to know. They were going he was just starting his new Superman line and the the editor who he had, Andy Helfer, was going to break off and do the new Justice League uh, international comic. Yep. And so he needed to leave Superman. And John Byrne said, I can work with Mike Carlin. I We did the Fantastic Four together at Marvel. And mm. he's a good guy. So he endorsed me and I got in the door. And, you know, and John worked on Superman for two years while I was there and when he left, that's when I became the real editor of Superman. And that's when we started putting triangle numbers and things triangle like numbers. that. That's one of that was that was my one of my follow-ups was when did you do that? <laughs> the triangle well, numbers, for those of you who don't know, what it was was there were four different Superman books and the triangles had a little number and you could tell the order in which the story was being told. And they weren't you know, they would be released. So if 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 a book was a, a totally different comic book, but it was number seven, you had to read that one as the continuation of the story. And for Yim Yams like me, who didn't know comics, no other comic book companies did that. No other properties did that. The Batman didn't have that. And the triangles really made it easier to get uh, in, in that. Before we get on another tangent, though, I do have a question. When <laughs> you get hired at either Marvel or DC, and you're full time. Mm -hmm. Was your mom still alive? And was your what was her reaction? Like her son is freaking working for DC Comics. Like that must have been wild for her. That's the funny story. I got the job at Marvel first, right? And she didn't really care because she was <laughs> not a Marvel reader. Because Marvel didn't come into its heyday until after <laughs> she stopped reading comics. <laughs> That's like my relatives. I got a job working for the New York Mets. My relatives were all Yankee fans and they were like, oh, the Mets. <laughs> like I got a job. But <laughs> then I got I got fired at Marvel and I went to DC. The first week I was at DC, she said, Oh, I want to come up to DC and see where they make the Superman comics. Oh, that's so cool. so mom came up to the office and she met everybody. And yeah, she she definitely loved that I worked at DC. Uh, and the bonus, a bonus was that DC was kind of involved in owning Mad Magazine at the same time. So that's a, that was the last of the EC publications. So that she was a big fan of that as well. <laughs> uh, so, so I'm saying you shared it. So I had to ask. That, yeah. That's so cool. Uh, so cool. What did you think? Not because he was a good guy to you. What did you think of John Burns changing of Superman? Oh, I loved it. I loved it even before I got there because he he was doing that all before I got on staff at DC. And it just was like, it it was great to update Superman. And there was so many things that you know, it, it's, I liken it to the idea that, you know, if you have a boat, it ends up getting a lot of barnacles on it. And then it's suddenly not, you know, it's not floating as well as it should. And you got to scrape off the barnacles. John 
scraped off a lot of barnacles on Superman's boat and 60 years uh, worth. Yeah. And well, yeah, at the time it was, it was 50 years. So yeah, sorry, 50 years. That's okay. But doing math was, on the fly. Well, if, if comics rebooted things every 50 years, that would be okay. Now we do it every four minutes, four months. issues. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but it, the thing is it was, it was the right thing to do at the time. And we got some things that just were great. The fact that Mom Pa Kent was still alive when he was Superman Loved it. Loved is the greatest it. change of all time. Yep. And the other Ma cons- makes the costume. Yeah. And it was like all of the other changes I thought were surface changes, and they were not. Well, Lex Luthor being Superman. a businessman, not a not a evil criminal mastermind. Well, but he was still a guy who could run a company that built a battle suit. <laughs> you know and right uh, right but but there was a perception in metropolis that lex luther was this this power guy not the bad guy from the legion of doom no it's true and that that was it it, it was very it was very 80s you know he was gordon gecko you know he was definitely an evil businessman point. yeah I hadn't and that, that was a great thing and that idea actually came from marv wolfman uh that who was also writing one of the three Superman books at that time. John was doing the other two. So, uh, yeah, so it was really a, a great, great bunch of changes that really made a big difference. I mean, that that Lex Luthor got to be president. Right. Just like the real Gordon Geckos get to be. That's right. <laughs> That's right. And, uh, you know, it's like it, it was just perfect for the time. And the other changes were things like, you know, when Superman, when I was reading Superman, like the, the muscle guy to beat was uh, Jack LaLanne, mm-hmm. you know. But by the time John Byrne is drawing Superman, Arnold Schwarzenegger is the muscle guy to beat. And it's a definitely a different body type. Mm-hmm. And uh, those kinds of changes are, I think, really surface changes, but they they still made a difference. It made it look modern. It made it feel, you know, up to date. And that kind of stuff was good. Uh, the you know, the fact that we then made, and we did storylines where Lois wasn't just trying to find out Superman's identity. And she didn't just have a crush on Superman. She wasn't obsessed with him which is really diminishing. It was diminishing to her personality. And it also eventually, it makes her look stupid to not be able to figure out that Superman and Clark Kent are the same person, you know, and uh, that's some. uh, Right. But if you make her not obsess about it and and be obsessed with whatever story she's covering, you could see how it would, she would miss it. And we made her fall in love with Clark. Right. Because that's what should happen. And that's who she should marry. She's marrying Clark, and she gets Superman on the side. There's a <laughs> great know? line it's like, in the. Uh... We, we did a couple of things. We did a couple of things to play with the idea too. And when he, when Clark revealed, we felt like he needed to reveal his secret to her before they got married, yep. because it's not good to start a marriage with a lie. So he tells her, and she says something good advice like, "Advice to everybody listening." Yes. She she said something like, uh, uh, you know, I guess I kind of always knew, yeah. but it wasn't, it was kind of like not an issue. It was just like, 
wow, you're Superman. Thanks for telling me. This is a big deal. And uh, let me go off and think about what this means. Because it does change, uh, you know, what what her life is going to be like, for sure. Sure. Uh, another thing we did in our, our books was a, a jokier thing, was we had Lois Lane try on somebody else's glasses in a story. I got to look up wh- what book we did this in. But Lois Lane tried on somebody else's glasses and nobody recognized her. So basically (laughs) glasses in the DC universe are masks work a little different than the glasses in our universe do. They are are big time masks. They are very effective. They really do work wonders. And uh, it's, it, 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 it was a fun thing, but it also, you know, it kind of, shut people up for a little while which was pretty good <laughs> there was a there was a stretch in my life when i had contacts mm. and i do remember uh when i was covering games and we were going on a flight with coworkers, and i wore a baseball cap and had my glasses because mm. you know, i i didn't wear contacts and someone introduced themselves to me <laughs> and i was always a superman fan and i was like wow, that, that really does mean... I always remembered that. I always remembered glasses can really change your look. Yeah. Glasses... It's uh, not a thing, yeah. A mustache, a beard, I That's think right. they, they are they, they are useful sometimes when you're trying to be in, in a disguise. <laughs> right, if you're trying to hide from someone. <laughs> which I don't know why you'd want to hide from someone, but yes, if you if you want that. Um, real quick, uh, because I could literally do this all day. Would you want to comment on this notion of comic book properties? This is going to be a very long-winded question. Comic <laughs> book properties that are now becoming TV shows and movies and not only these movies, but the blockbusters. Uh, I think of Jim Starlin. I think of Ed Brubaker. Ed Brubaker tells the story of creating the Winter Soldier. And he was a work for hire and he got you know, he, he got paid whatever he got paid. And then Marvel made a billion dollars on the Winter Soldier. And this idea that legally Disney doesn't have to pay Ed Brubaker a penny, but morally, it just seems like they should. As someone who worked in comics before moving to animation, which we will get to mm-hmm. in another podcast, <laughs> <laughs> I told you, <laughs> Uh, what is your thought on this idea? And I want to throw in the caveat is that now what you're seeing is comic book creators want to own their material. So you're seeing Invincible and the Umbrella Academy and uh, the boys countless shows now that are really the boys is really a Justice League story. Mm-hmm. But they by changing the, you know, by changing Superman to Homelander. The creators own that story. What's your thought on just the idea of the big companies mishandling the, not legally mishandling, but mishandling it so that these brilliant creators of today are out doing their own thing? Well, I think that is a long winded question. The the, the reality is that a lot of creators were doing their own thing anyway. Uh, Ed Brubaker didn't start writing for DC or Marvel until after he was doing his own thing. He was already writing comics on his own. And that's uh, honestly how we noticed him. 
and uh, he, he, you know, that is that's a way to get in is to have your stuff published elsewhere. But the reality is, is that even Umbrella Academy, uh, you know, that kind of stuff that was that's written by story. Gerard Way. Uh, he was an intern at D.C. So, uh, you know, everybody, you know, they they you get you get different opportunities and sometimes you have to make your own opportunities. So I think that stuff was going on anyway. Okay. I do think that they're right to expect just some kind of goodwill payment because of how much money is being made. Right. You know, there's a, there's a lot of stuff that's like, like, you know, people create a character and they appear here and there. And, you know, like I, I'm not, I don't delude myself, you know, right. Tony Isabella created black lightning. Yeah. So I think, you know, DC has contracts with people that says how much they'll get paid if uh, if if they have if if your character gets his own comic book or if he gets a TV show or whatever, and then they get paid. And uh, is it enough? Is it the right amount? I don't know. Some people are never satisfied, but at the same time, DC I think has a good record and a good reputation as to paying people for things that they create, even if they don't have to. That's uh, interesting to hear you say. Uh, that's why I asked. I, yeah. The whole, well, the whole idea is it's very murky because... At DC, if you create somebody, you know, from scratch, you can get what's called equity in the character. And if they make a toy out of it, you get some piece of that action. And if they make a poster or whatever, anything they make with that character, you get a little chunk of money for it. And it's written down in the contract. DC's vouchers were four or five page contracts. Marvel's voucher was not, and uh, it, it 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 was a pretty good policy for a long time. Now DC has a thing called, uh, I guess, discretionary bonuses, and that's where a bunch of people get together in a room and decide. I had to kill Superman again. <laughs> no, they decide to pay people for some of the ideas that are being used elsewhere. So I don't know if Marvel has anything like that. It doesn't sound like they do, but it's like uh, DC I does. I don't know, Ed Brubaker. I, I, I've i been fascinated with the story. You know, Ed Brubaker told a story on a podcast that I heard where Sebastian Stan yeah. had to let Ed Brubaker into the premiere party for Captain America Winter Soldier. <laughs> and you just hear that story and you're just like, that doesn't seem to make sense. Like people would have to recognize that the success of these properties has been the source material yeah and the more loyal that... you are to the source material you can tell you can tell sam raimi loves spider-man you can yeah. tell john favreau loves star wars you can tell those things and the respect for the source material should be universal right but like i said there are some some things that are contractually obligation obligated right. and then there are some things where you gotta just you gotta say we made a lot of money on this or we made this much money on it. The right thing. Let's share it. And, uh, you know, DC has given out, a, you know, checks for characters. I know uh, Len Wein got paid for the use of Lucius Fox in some of uh, oh. those appearances. Uh, the Morgan Freeman character. Yeah. And it's like the, he's a supporting character. Uh, some of the 
I mean, Jerry Ordway got some money for the creation of Bibbo, who was mm-hmm. a Superman character. Yep, and he was he, the uh, the bar owner. Yeah, and they had a bar owner in Superman Returns, and they yep. even they didn't they called him Bib. Yeah, I remember that. Superman but Returns. Yes, Jerry got some money. I don't know what kind of money, but he got some money, and it's like that's the way it should be. It's just an acknowledgement that it happens now. You know, you get this big roll of a million names at the end of a show or whatever that says thanks to and thanks to. Yep. everybody's name. And I, I actually got thanked on uh, on one of the Winter Soldier episodes oh. because I created a guy named uh, the Power Broker. Oh, and, wow. That was you. Yeah. I didn't I haven't gotten any money, but nope. <laughs> I also don't delude myself to think that the Power Broker really matters that much uh right but he's in it big idea but they thanked me and that's great now policies at dc editors don't really get thanks or royalties or anything so i knew that going in but i got medical coverage for years so it it all balances out it all it all (laughs) i try to stay realistic about all that and then in 2011 you leave comics and you go to animation. I just want to know, will you come back? Because there's a whole chapter of your outstanding career that we haven't even scratched the surface. I did not leave comics. I just went to a different medium doing the same kind of thing. Uh, I stayed with DC Comics and uh, I became our liaison with Warner Brothers Animation and worked on all of our superhero properties uh, so it was a continuation that that gave me uh, a fresh start, and they paid for my move to California, which oh. I love because I hate snow. I hate cold weather. <clears throat> if I'm watching a movie and it starts snowing, I change the channel. I what, can't when take... did you start on the animated movies? What was your first I... movie that you worked on? Uh, the well, the first movie I technically worked on was Batman Year One, but it was pretty much done by the time I got here. Okay, so I so mean, you worked on Justice League Doom, The Dark Knight Returns, yes. Superman vs. the Elite, Superman Unbound, Justice League, the, the Flash uh, Flashpoint, all the way up through your War World movie. And, oh, you worked on War World, huh. and what's coming up next year? I worked on as well. The the suit recently announced Crisis on Infinite Earths three parter that Religion. Ernie Altbacker said on the podcast before we knew it was three parts. It is three parts. That was the secret for a long time. It was a secret. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, you're not you don't want to be the guy who leaks something. So I wouldn't That's have right. said that I let you say it. That's right. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> Mike, uh, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, I cannot wait to talk about that portion of your career. And I look forward to just continuing to get to know you. Uh, I've been a massive fan of your work. And that's it. I'm done kissing your butt. You've already thank been you. on the podcast. Thank you, thank you, and thank you for even caring. And uh, make sure people know that uh, if they want to call me to do some work, uh, I am still available. I'm not officially retired. I just will do what I want to do instead of what I have to do. <laughs> 
Mike Carlin, I hope you will come back in a couple of weeks. Let's do another whole podcast on your animation. So I have a little project for you because we're going to do a project. We're going to review Echo, the latest Disney Plus series from Marvel. Five episodes were all released this week. We're going to watch them and we're going to talk about it. Destiny Jackson will join us. We will review Echo next week on the podcast. We'll see you then.